Today on the best-selling children's author show, Chicago Public Schools are excited to announce that every bathroom in the district in every school will now be gender neutral. Now, how could they instate a policy like this right on the heels of the Loudoun County scandal where a girl was raped in a bathroom by a boy in a dress? We'll talk about that today. Also, the White House unveils its new five-point plan for defeating COVID. Will this work better than the plan they had before this or the one before that or the one before that? And Whoopi Goldberg engages in shocking transphobia while attacking pro-lifers. The New York Times argues that abortion is good because adoption is bad. And Trevor Noah takes the vaccine red pill, an unexpected turn of events. We'll talk about all of that and much more today on the best-selling children's author show. Have you gotten the Get Upside app yet? I've been telling you about it. Um, I don't know what you're waiting for if you have not gone and uh, to Google uh, Play right now or the App Store and um, taken advantage of this app. I don't know what you're waiting for because GetUpside is all upside. There's no downside to it. You're saving money every time you go to the pump. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot and uh, do a lot of traveling are making two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added to your account. It's as simple as that. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal. You can get an e-gift card to uh, Amazon or somewhere else. And if you want this, just go download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh. To get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Again, that's the free GetUpside app. Use promo code Walsh for 50 cents a gallon cash back. So the uh, kids who attend Chicago public schools don't have it easy. They live in one of the most violent and crime-ridden places in the country. As of November 1st, 678 people had been murdered in the city, outpacing the murder rate from 2020, which was itself historically high. Homelessness is also on the rise, along with drug abuse and nearly every marker of societal disintegration, the poverty rate in Chicago is 20%. These dire conditions can be felt in the school system itself, where the violence from the street often spills into the hallways and the classrooms, as you might expect. The schools are so infected and surrounded by violence that many students are scared to walk home at the end of the day. Earlier this year, two 15-year-old students at one Chicago school were shot and killed in separate shootings on the same day near the school they attended. This is what it's like to attend class inside a war zone, basically. Academically, Chicago schools are, are subpar at best. Their elementary age students are below the national average in both math and reading. The situation is so bad that the school system brags about a graduation rate of only 82%, also considerably lo- below the national average. Granted, it's an improvement from the catastrophic 60% graduation rate of 2007, but still not very good. All in all, suffice it to say that Chicago public schools have problems, major problems, and they aren't focused on solving any of them. Instead, the district has set inclusivity as one of its primary goals, and it most especially wants to impose inclusivity in the bathrooms. Now, as a normal and sane person, you have probably been inside hundreds of public restrooms and never once thought to yourself that the environment needed to be more inclusive. It's likely that you've you, you have never looked around and said, yeah, I really wish there was a more diverse array of people uh, peeing alongside me. You may take note of many other improvements that can be made inside any particular public restroom, most of them hygiene and sanitation related, but diversity and inclusivity were probably not among them. But the Chicago public school system, like so many other school systems, 
is not run by people like you. It's run by weirdos and predators and perverts who have never met a heteronormative, quote-unquote, arrangement that they don't want to dismantle. And that's why the district announced this week that all bathrooms in all of its schools at every grade level will be made gender-neutral from henceforward. They proudly released a video where Cami Pratt and Deb Spragans, their top Title IX officers and chief groomers, announced the change. Let's watch this. Hello, everyone. I'm Cami Pratt, the district's chief Title IX officer. And I'm Deb Spragans, the district's deputy chief Title IX officer. The new school year is off to a strong start as we've welcomed our students back to our school buildings five days each week. On top of ensuring that each of our schools is a safe learning environment, we're also taking steps to create more inclusive and supportive schools. One change that will be implemented this school year relates to our school bathrooms. In compliance with new federal guidelines, all CPS students and staff will have fair and equitable access to bathroom facilities that align with their gender identity. We will be providing all schools with updated signage that makes our bathrooms more inclusive. It will identify the fixtures available in each restroom and make it clear that all restrooms are open for use by anyone who feels comfortable. Staff will continue to have staff-only restrooms available to them. This is an incredibly important step to increase gender equity for all, which is why we will be requiring all schools to post this signage by December 1st of this school year. Our district's Office of Student Protections in Title IX is also working on a long-term plan to create more permanent signage for our bathrooms. I encourage you to visit our website at cps.edu forward slash OSP to learn more about our comprehensive approach to creating more inclusive, equitable, and safe schools. If you have any questions, you can email us at osp at cps.edu. We look forward to having a safe and successful school year at every school in every neighborhood across Chicago. Thank you. And to make the dystopian feel, uh, you know, the, the, the dystopian theme to make it complete, of course, we have uh, in the video footage of kids walking around with masks on their face. The signage on the bathrooms will read Boys Plus and Girls Plus with a note indicating that, quote, all who feel comfortable are welcome to use this restroom. This, of course, does not take into account the fact that for most well-adjusted people, their comfort level in the bathroom depends on who else is allowed to use it. Most girls feel comfortable using the girls' restroom because there will only be girls inside it. These girls will not feel comfortable if anyone else if anyone else who feels comfortable, regardless of sex, is allowed to join them. The upshot is that normal girls with a normal desire for privacy and safety will not feel comfortable anywhere now in Chicago public schools. There is no restroom for them to use. For the sake of providing comfort to the tiny minority of gender nonconformists, the comfort of everybody else must be sacrificed. For normal girls, that is um, uh, cis girls, as they're now called, in an effort to mar marginalize normalcy, the signs ought to simply say, go to hell, we don't care about you. Because after all, that is the message. This is not about comfort, generally speaking. And it's not about being inclusive or tolerant. If the policy was motivated by those desires, I'd still oppose it. Because inclusivity, tolerance, and comfort cannot be the overriding concerns in a bathroom or really anywhere else in life. But as it happens, those are not the concerns here at all. As always, the predators and groomers are using these nice-sounding words as window dressing for their true agenda. In this case, the real point is to institute a social hierarchy 
where the desires of the uber victims, those in the LGBT camp, especially trans people, are placed explicitly above the needs of those who are their inferiors. Normal girls and boys are punished for being normal. These are basically punitive measures. These punitive measures have, by design, a sort of if-you-can't-beat-them-join-them effect after a while. Kids are so immersed in gender ideology, so subject to its commands, even in bathrooms, that eventually they're worn down and they learn to accept it and then, after a while, embrace it. You've probably already taken note of the timing of this bathroom policy change in Chicago. It comes directly on the heels of a, uh, of a, of a major national scandal in Loudoun County that we uncovered here at the Daily Wire, where a girl was brutally raped inside a girl's bathroom by a boy in a dress. Now, some on social media have said that they, well, they, they can't believe that Chicago would instate this policy in spite of what happened in Virginia. But they're wrong. Chicago is not doing this now in spite of the Loudoun County scandal. They're doing it now because of that scandal. The groomers and predators and brainwashers of children are not backing away in shame because that happened. They certainly won't change course out of any concern for the safety of children. They don't care if kids are raped in the bathroom. They don't care. They only care if the raping becomes inconvenient to the trans agenda. The well-being of children is not a priority at all. It does not factor into the equation. They don't think about it. And that is not an exaggeration. I guarantee you in Chicago, when they were coming up with this policy and talking about it, no one even said, well, are are we worried about girls, uh, their their well-being? I mean, are we we worried about their safety? What if they they end up getting abused or raped in the bathroom? That's not, not an issue. They don't care. What matters is that every aspect of student life conforms with the demands of leftist ideology and especially gender ideology, and any amount of suffering is a worthy trade towards that end. That's why Chicago is doing this now. They're doubling down. They're sending a message to the domestic terrorists, i.e. parents who value their children's safety and well-being, and the message is, uh, your kids are ours. We own them. We will do what we want with them and to them. I said before that Chicago isn't focused on addressing the violence and chaos in its schools. And uh, that's true, but I I, I should mention that they did announce this year a new plan, what they call a healing-centered framework to help kids cope with trauma related to violence, COVID, and other struggles. It's not clear what this will entail exactly, but we do know that it will cost $25 million, whatever they do with it. I wonder if the girls who will now be abused, raped, harassed, and accosted in the school's bathrooms will have access to those healing-centered services. Something tells me they will not because their trauma doesn't count, just like their feelings and their comfort and their privacy doesn't count. It all must be sacrificed on the LGBT altar. And that is yet another reason, among so many, why I say to get your kids out of this damned, godforsaken system. Save them while you still can. Please. Now let's get to our five headlines. When it comes to gift giving, you know, they say that it's the thought that counts, but we all know that's, that's one of the lies we all tell each other. And we all know that it's not true. It's, it's not just the thought that counts. Um, you know, if you, if, if you have to put the right thought into the gift and, and really what, what matters with a gift is, can I use it? Do I want it? Is it great? Um, and I'll tell you one gift that you can give that will check all those boxes. It's the X chair, the chair I'm sitting in right now. 
Uh, how about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every day, all year long? A gift that looks as good as it feels and a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you'll be at work. I'm talking about giving yourself the gift, not someone else, of an X chair. I absolutely love mine. It's by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair I've ever used. And honestly, it's also probably the coolest looking piece of furniture that I, that I own. Not only is X chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and it can either cool or warm your back. Um, probably you've sat in many office chairs in your time that can't do all of that. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Buy early, buy now. And here's the X chair holiday gift for you. Save $100 off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchairwalsh.com. Now, that's the letter X chair, W A L S H.com. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairwalsh.com and save xchairwalsh.com. All right. Um, as we get into news here on. Um the Matt Wall Show, uh, and I am a best-selling. I don't know if I, I don't know if I told you I'm a best-selling children's author. Do I have? The, I don't even have the book. Where's the book? I don't have it. I forgot to. I forgot to have it on on uh, camera with me. Um, you can go to JohnnyTheWalrus.com. We're still sold out sold out on Amazon at present, but you can go to JohnnyTheWalrus.com and uh, get that book. Also, as you can see, I am uh, fulfilling my other true calling, along with being a children's author uh, and a theocratic fascist and all that, and a philanthropist and a Virginian. Um, I'm also a fashion model, so I'm wearing uh, some of our Matt Walsh show merchandise of the Daily Wire, the Return or Die shopping cart shirt, which is another uh, bestseller, um, uh, and for good reason, you know, um, and we've got a whole bunch of other uh, merchandise there if you go to the Daily Wire, and I'll be uh, funneling a lot of that stuff on. To, it's just going to look really, really, ta- it's, I'm just a tacky bastard, so I'm going to be wearing the merchandise. It'll be all over the studio. I don't think any of the, the other hosts are doing this. Like, I'm the, I'm the only one doing it. It's just greedy and tacky, but what can you do? All right, let's go. Uh, let's start with here. The White House yesterday announced a new five-point plan for COVID, uh, a new one. So they've had, you know, they had their the plan bef- before this plan, and uh, and that didn't work. And you know, but but that was the plan that was put in place because the plan before that one didn't work, and that one was put there because the one before that one didn't work. And so we keep going with more with more. But usually they're five-point plans. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's a three-point plan. Now we've got a five-point plan in light of the Omnicorn variant, and here is. Um, We'll watch as much of this as we can stomach. Here's uh, Tony Fauci explaining the new plan. Hi, everyone. This is Tony Fauci here. And the president today is going to announce new ways how we are going to address the COVID-19 outbreak as we enter into the winter months, particularly with the new situation that we have now with the Omicron variant. Number one, the president is launching a campaign to get as many people boosted as they possibly can. If you're one of the 100 million Americans who are eligible for a boost, go get your booster shot now. Number two, in order to protect kids and families, we will be launching family vaccination sites throughout the country to make it easier for families, parents, and children to get vaccinated. And number three is free at-home tests for Americans. We will be aimed at getting home tests for American families, free tests, where medical insurance for private insurance will pay 100% of the cost to get tests for individuals who need them. That's, 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 well, so we got three, we got three. The the other one is uh, travel requirements. So um, there's, there's, uh, there's new travel requirements and uh, that is COVID tests for international travelers is on there. They're also leaving open the possibility uh, eventually of domestic travel, because that's the one thing that they have so far, they've done a lot with with traveling, and they're also extending the mask mandate on planes into March. 
Um, and then once March, I think it's like late March. And then once that comes, of course, they're going to extend it and keep extending it. In, uh, I believe it was in, in uh, Oregon or Washington, Oregon, I think, they've made the mask mandate permanent. So, and they claim that, yeah, it's permanent, but it's not really, it's, it's, it's just like it, we're making it official. It's not really permanent as in forever. It's more indefinite. We're calling it permanent, but it's indefinite. Kind of the same thing. So eventually we'll get that here too with traveling, but they're still, they're still pretending that this is temporary. So they extended the mask mandate until March. Um, and that's on planes. And then, uh, and you can go, you can go get, we're going to get everybody boosted. You got to get jabbed and boosted. And the great thing is to get jabbed and boosted, you can uh, bring your kids with you now to a, to a family vaccination site. The fact that your kid, that uh, COVID poses almost no risk to your kids, statistically speaking, doesn't matter. It's, you know, make it a family event. Go get jabbed and boosted with the kids. Give them this statistically, essentially unnecessary vaccine for them, given their, uh, given their, their, their risk level, which is very, very low. And then, I don't know, go to Red Robin or something or Chuck E. Cheese. Make it a whole family day. Meanwhile, Jen uh, Psaki has a theory related to COVID about why people are looting in places like San Francisco. Is it the fact that uh, all of these places have district attorneys? Many of them um, were were placed there in part with the help of um, money from guys like George Soros. Is it because you've got these guys who are not putting violent criminals in jail? Is it because they've announced ahead of time that you can steal X amount, up to X amount of uh, dollars worth of merchandise and we won't prosecute you? Is that what's leading to this? Is it the collapse of the family in these cities? No, no, it's none of that. It's um, because of the pandemic, she says. Let's listen. Huge group of criminals organizes themselves and they want to go loot a store, a CVS, a Nordstrom, a Home Depot, until the shelves are clean. You think that's because of the pandemic? I think a root cause in a lot of communities is the pandemic, yes. I was hoping we get an explanation there, but we don't get one. Because because there isn't any explanation. The, the pandemic has caused people, to, has caused mass looting. Well, we know that AOC told us that people are, all, all of the, the uptick in crime that we're hearing about is actually just people stealing bread. And I, I don't know, it's it's... Bread in the shape of like Gucci bags and uh, and designer shoes, apparently, because I, all of the videos that you see of the mass looting, really, it's it's actually kind of striking that uh, none of it is happening at grocery stores. None of it involves essential items people need to live. And even if it did, that still wouldn't make it OK, obviously, obvious to. To normal people anyway. But no. The looting is all at um, retail outlets, you know, designer outlets, that sort of thing. So she doesn't explain exactly how the pandemic could contribute to that. I'll tell you one way that it does. We already talked about this. She's correct in only one way that um, the masking, which has come out of the pandemic, certainly does contribute to it. So she's not wrong about that, at least. All right, let's move on to... The View um, and the Supreme Court case, we know the left is, of course, losing their minds as they see the possibility that they will, um, that their high sacrament of abortion, their highest and most sacred sacrament, potentially will be desecrated, will be taken from them. 
Not even actually taken from them, by the way, because we should remind everyone, and I, I think um, many people still don't realize this, and if you rely on the media to, for your information, the corporate media, then you're not going to realize that if Roe Ro v. Wade is overturned, that doesn't mean that abortion is illegal across the country the next day. I wish it meant that, but that's not what it means. All it means now is that states have the ability to make their own laws when it comes to abortion. And so eventually, probably very quickly, abortion will be effectively illegal in, I don't know, probably 20 states or something or maybe more. But the states where most of the abortions happen, New York, California, those, it, it, not only will abortion still be in place in those states, but what I would expect is that they're going to respond to this by putting more extreme abortion laws on the books which may seem very difficult to do because the laws of California and New York when it comes to abortion are already, you would think, as extreme as it gets. But I would not be at all surprised uh, to, to, to find if Roe v. Wade is overturned, very soon after that, the deep blue states start doing things like ex explicitly uh, making infanticide legal and that sort of thing, which they've already effectively done in New York. So the left's freaking out about it, and, and the one thing that we're that we're we're hearing over and over again, of course, is how this is all this is an attack on on women, which is an interesting claim for a number of reasons. But first, let's listen to uh, Whoopi Goldberg wearing a very ugly sweater and making this case. Do any of you men have any eggs or the possibility of carrying a fetus? How dare you talk about what a fetus wants? You have no idea. Now, I'm, I'm fine if you disagree with abortion. I have no problem with that. My problem comes when you tell me what I need to do with my doctor and my family. How dare you? Did she say you have no idea what a fetus wants? Is that what she said? What, uh, are, are you suggesting that they, that they might want to be killed? That that's something that they might want? But she also says that if you're a man, you don't have uh, eggs, you don't have the ability to carry a quote-unquote fetus. Before we respond to that, Nancy Pelosi had a, a similar perspective um, during her press conference. Let's listen to, listen to that. Yesterday, the Supreme Court took up a very important issue. I viewed it as listening to, uh, as a very dark day. The Supreme Court heard arguments about the case of Mississippi's extreme law. The court is threatening to trample over the Constitution, destroy Roe v. Wade, and turn away, take away a woman's freedom to make the most fundamental decision that she can make for herself and her family, working to, with her family members and her doctor and her faith. And so we have a, a situation where, for us, we believe the strongest weapon that we have here is to pass the... Uh, Roe Wade codification. We did that already in the House. Man, she is old. Uh, she says this is an attack on women. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg says the same thing. Whoopi Goldberg is, is more explicit about it, you know, re relating it to your body, saying you don't have a right to talk about this if you don't have a, if you can't, if you can't carry a fetus within your body and so on. Now, we know that that's already a very stupid point for many reasons we've talked about plenty of times. Uh, one being that the body at issue is not the woman's body. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the body of the child in the womb. Um, that, is, that is the body in dispute here. That's the body whose life hangs in the balance. 
Also, it, it takes two to tango. So every single quote-unquote fetus that is currently in the womb of a woman was created by with the help of a man. And so you would think that that would mean that men actually have a stake in, in this issue. Because these are our children also. They are, in fact, equally our children. You can't make a baby on your own. You need the 50% contribution of a man. And you would also think that we all have a stake in it because we were all unborn children at one time or another. You know, Ronald Reagan's famous quote that uh, I've noticed that all the people who support abortion are already born. Now, Whoopi Goldberg says, well, you, you, don't, you don't know what the fetus wants. Maybe the fetus wants to have his, uh, his skull crushed. Maybe he wants to be jabbed in the heart with a poison needle, which is how they perform many of these abortions, especially in the later stages. Uh, maybe he wants to be ripped limb from limb, which is also how they perform these abortions in the later stages. Maybe, maybe he wants that, she says. Yet, I'm, I'm guessing that Whoopi Goldberg is quite happy that didn't happen to her. I think I could say that every single person alive today is quite happy that didn't happen to them. You know, if, you're, if you're alive today and you wished you were dead, then you, you probably wouldn't be living much longer. So, you would think that would give us all a stake in this issue. And also the fact that this is a, that this is a, a matter of law. It's a matter of morals. So you don't have to be personally connected to the issue. I mean, if somebody uh, murders a homeless man out in California, that doesn't directly affect me. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it would be very hard to argue that that has any direct impact on me at all. I'm not involved. I'm not the homeless man. Maybe he wanted to be murdered. You know, the person who murdered him, I don't know their reasons. I don't, I, I'm not walking in their shoes. I haven't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know about their lived experience. And yet, even though I'm not involved in the issue and it doesn't affect me in any way, and it's none of my business, I am still very much opposed to it. And I think there should be laws against it. But all of that aside, of course, the real problem, as we know, is that they can't make this point anymore. You, you can't do this anymore, Whoopi Goldberg, because men can have eggs and carry a, a babies within them. Men can have uteruses. That's, that's your position. I have to remind you. Now, I, I understand Whoopi Goldberg as an older woman. I don't know. She's, what, in her 60s or 70s now. That's probably not actually your position. Because, because you, you grew up and you were raised before gender ideology got into the mainstream. And so you've probably lived your entire life under the assumption that men are men, women are women, only women have babies, only men have penises, and that kind of thing. And you probably still believe that. You probably look around at uh, gender ideology and all this kind of stuff and you think that's crazy. But you're not going to say that out loud because you, you certainly don't have the courage for that. You, you are beholden to this ideology and you're not going to speak out against it. You're not going to contradict it, which means that you can't say this anymore. It's, it, it really works to your benefit in the end in a certain way because it's such a stupid point. This no uterus, no opinion thing, is, is a, it's a very stupid argument and it makes you sound dumb. Now, granted, there are no good arguments for abortion. 
but maybe you could try to find one that's a little bit better than that. So it's for, it's for the best maybe for you. But you have to find a different argument because this doesn't work anymore. Um, the female body is no longer exclusive to women. I'm afraid to tell you. So what you're engaging in here is rank transphobia. And it's deeply offensive, ma'am, if that's how you identify. All right. Uh, staying on Roe v. Wade for a second here. I just saw this right before showtime. Uh, I want to read through it a little bit. It's a, a horrifying editorial in the New York Times arguing that it's better to kill babies than adopt them. Adoption is bad, is the pitch, right? So here is, this is from um, Elizabeth Spires, who's a uh, democratic digital strategist, and she was adopted as an infant. And her point, what's the headline? Uh, I was adopted. I know the trauma it can inflict. So it's a long, we can't read the whole thing, but let's go through a little bit of this. On Wednesday, as the Supreme Court heard oral arguments from state attorneys seeking to uphold Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, Justice Amy Coney Barrett kept getting at one question. Why was abortion necessary when women who do not want to be mothers can simply give their babies up for adoption? As an adoptee myself, I was floored by Justice Barrett's assumption that adoption is an, is an accessible and desirable alternative for women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant. She may not realize it, but what she's suggesting is that women don't need access to abortion because they, simply, they can simply go do a thing that is infinitely more difficult, expensive, dangerous, and potentially traumatic than terminating a pregnancy during its early stages. As an adoptive mother herself, Justice Barrett should have uh, some inkling of the complexities of adoption and the toll it can inflict on children, as well as birth mothers. Okay, I don't even, where do you even begin with something like this? Adoption is more dangerous than abortion? Now, clearly, we're only, we're only talking, we're not taking the child into account at all here yet. I don't know if we're going to get to the point where she argues that it's um, better for the child also to be dismembered and have his skull crushed than to be put up for adoption. Maybe she'll argue that later. But right now, she's talking about the woman, presumably. And so she says it's, it's more dangerous for the woman to put their child up for adoption than to get an abortion? How so? There, there's, there's no physical danger involved whatsoever in putting your child up for adoption. Um, and, and most states, and this is something that Amy Coney Barrett talked about, that most states, or maybe every state now, have laws on the books that make it intentionally very, very easy for a child, for a, for a parent to give their child up um, for adoption. So certainly not dangerous. Now we compare that to abortion. Even according to the, the leftist euphemistic way of talking about it, it's a, it's a, it's a quote unquote medical procedure. It's a quote unquote surgery. And there are always dangers in any surgery. And those dangers are going to outweigh, you know, bringing your child somewhere to, um, to give them up for adoption. But this particular surgery, is surgery, quote unquote, is far da- more dangerous than most. We don't, we don't talk about that. I mean, these are women who are erased from the public consciousness and conversation. But there are many, many women out there, thousands and thousands of women out there, if not more, who have suffered um, long-lasting, phys- long-lasting physical effects of abortion. Including sometimes permanent infertility and, uh, and other things as well. 
mean, if you want to know about the the dangers of abortion, go go uh, check in with uh, Gosnell, the serial killer up in Philadelphia, who's in prison now. You know, multiple women were killed by Gosnell, and he's not the only one that's done that. And then potentially traumatic. Okay, so giving your child up for adoption is that a traumatic event? Well, I could certainly see that it, that it, that it would be. No, that's uh, I, I could see the, the the emotional trauma that would be involved in making that decision. But let's compare that to killing your child. Okay, because with the, the regret that comes later, you've made a decision that cannot be reversed. So on one hand, you've given your child to another family that can care for them and wants to care for, for your child. And e- even in spite of all of the emotional trauma, which I'm sure is, uh, is pronounced, you know that your child is out in the world living. And there's a chance that they could, a very good chance, just like anybody else, they could go on to live a, a very happy and fulfilled and joyful life. So there's that. And then there is removing your child from the world permanently. And then you, you, you move on from that, knowing that your, child, your child is nowhere and you can't go back. There is a, a void now where your child once was that will never be filled. What's more traumatic, we, we wonder. Um, she continues, let's see, skipping ahead a little bit. The right likes to suggest that abortion is a traumatic experience for women, a last resort of painful memory. But adoption is often just as traumatic as the right thinks abortion is, if not more so, as a woman has to relinquish not a lump of cells, but a fully formed baby she has lived with for nine months. I'm a mother myself to an adorable six-year-old self-proclaimed Fortnite expert. And uh, as is, of course, her six-year-old plays Fortnite, obviously. No big surprise there. Um, And as is often the case, I did not know. Why would you? This is not the the point at all, I realize. But your six-year-old? You have your six-year-old playing Fortnite? My kids barely know what a video game is. Okay, let's not focus on that. And as is often the case, I did not know I was pregnant with him until the usual symptoms appeared a few weeks into pregnancy. As anyone who has just stated a human will tell you, there's a vast difference between the fourth week of pregnancy and the 40th. By the 40th, you're familiar with your baby's regular rhythms of kicking and moving. When I awoke, my son would wake up shortly after and I'd feel him turning and stretching or less pleasantly jamming his precious little foot into what felt like my cervix. This is one of the paradoxes of pregnancy. Something alien is usurping your body and sapping you of nutrition and energy your program to gleefully enable it and you become desperately uh, protective of it. It, she's talking about. Talking about her own child now and using the word it. It's a kind of biological brainwashing. And this often, often happens whether you want to be a parent or not. My God. I feel so bad for this child. Your own mother referring to you as, as it and saying that her love for her child is, uh, is, bi- is the product of biological brainwashing. Yeah, this is how these people see children. I said yesterday, they, they really, they hate children. They hate babies. They hate their own kids. Wh- whatever kids they've allowed to live, they hate them and resent them. Because they see this as a zero-sum game. 
It's, a, it's an us or them kind of thing. And children are usurping. They're taking away my freedom, my liberty. They're taking away my autonomy. They're a burden. That's the way they see it. And so as I skim ahead in this, in this article, I was waiting for her to make the case. I mean, she's, she's talking about how adoption is better for women, which is insane. But what about the baby? Is she, is she, is she, is she going to try to make the case that it's better for the baby? And the answer appears to be no, because the baby doesn't factor in at all. Who cares about the baby? His, his needs, what's best for him, is, is not, does not factor in. We're not talking about it. Who cares? Because he's a non-entity. A clump of cells, as Elizabeth Spire puts it. All right, let's move forward here. Trevor Noah, as the kids might say, has taken, a, I guess, a bit of a red pill on the question of vaccines. Let's listen to that. So, on the one hand... Almost all the Omicron cases have been mild so far. But on the other hand, the guy who stands to gain millions of dollars from new vaccines says we need new vaccines. Hmm. If we don't make a new vaccine, this disease could be with us Ferrari. I mean, forever. Sorry, I was thinking of something else. Now, look, I'm not saying that the CEO of Moderna is lying. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, I don't think he's the most objective source on this topic. It amazes me. It's the same with watching The View. And I watch the uh, clips of The View. I've never seen a whole episode. Only see the clips. And also the, da- the Daily Show now um, in the post-John Stewart era. Do people actually sit and watch that? Because I agree with what he's saying. But even in, in, in agreeing, I find myself cringing because of that terrible Ferrari joke. This is, uh, this is supposed to be a comedy show. But it took him, you know, what is it? Uh, so we're 18 months. I mean, we're almost two years into this. And he's he's finally realizing that uh, there might be some conflicts of interest here. Is he going to get dinged? Is this, is this misinformation? Is this uh, COVID trutherism? No, yeah, it should be a, a pretty obvious conclusion here. That there, that there are conflicts of interest. That's, that's, that's a financial reality. You have to take that reality into account every day in your life. You know, you go to get, you go to, you take your car to the mechanic. It doesn't mean you can't trust any mechanics, but what you, what you have to remember is that they are getting paid, obviously, and so they have a vested interest in convincing you that you need work on your car that you might not need. That's not a conspiracy theory. But what we're being told is that is that everything you just heard from Trevor Noah, I'm sure he'll get a pass. But what you just heard there is, is a conspiracy theory. No, it's not. This is a recognition of human nature. When there's money on the line, even if it's not that much money, there's an incentive for people to be less than honest. That's the case for a car mechanic. You need new tires or something. We just had this last week. You need one new tire. You take the car and you get one new tire. And uh, what do you know? They tell you, you know what? Actually, you need you need you need all four new tires. And we don't have we don't have the used tires that you need, so you need to get brand new ones. That'll be five times as expensive. Now let's go over to the pharmaceutical industry, where there are billions and billions of dollars at stake. Do we think that maybe there might be a conflict of interest? And that's something to keep in mind. That's the, that's the grain of salt that you apply to everything they tell you. All right, next, Alec Baldwin was interviewed by uh, George Snuffleupagus on ABC, and uh, we'll play just one clip of this. 
Maybe two, probably one. He's asked about uh, whether he feels any guilt for having shot and killed a woman, which he did do, and he doesn't deny it. Now, at one point in the interview, he denies pulling the trigger. He says he, that, that, that I don't, I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't really explain what happened. I mean, how did the gun go off if you didn't pull the trigger? Now, again, if you listen to corporate media, you might think that that sort of thing happens you, because you think that guns are responsible for murder and gun violence and everything. That's why we call it gun violence. It's not violence perpetrated by people, but by the tools they're using. And so you might think that guns just have a mind of their own and they go off all the time. But that's, uh, that's not the case. Guns go off if you pull the trigger. He says he didn't pull it. And uh, maybe that's why he now says that he also feels no guilt at all for what happened. Your emotions are so clearly so right there on the surface. You felt shock. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? No, no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Baldwin now awaiting the outcome of the sheriff's investigation, hoping whatever it uncovers helps to ensure a tragedy like this never happens again. What do we come out of this learning? What do we come out of it? What changes can be made? Because where you have a person where, where, as I said, this is one in a billion, that someone puts a real bullet in the gun. That never happens. And the idea that a real bullet was in that gun and would come out of that gun and kill that woman, that, that was not even in the realm of possibility. And that's the thing that they must find out is where, who brought bullets onto the set. Amazing. What do we learn, he asks. What do, what do we learn from this? Well, one thing we learn is don't give Alec Baldwin a gun. That's, that's one thing we learn. And then he actually says, this is, this is one of the most honest things I think you'll ever hear from a Hollywood actor. And the only honest thing in that entire interview that you heard. Uh, he, he says, uh, he says uh, it, it, I don't know who's responsible. If someone is responsible. I don't know who, but I just know it's not me. Is that not a perfect distillation of the, the way these people go about life and so many others? I don't know who's responsible for this. You know, I, someone's accountable. All I know is that it's not my fault. I was the one holding the gun that went off somehow mysteriously, probably because I moved my finger in a certain way while pressing the trigger. I'm not responsible for that at all, he says. Oh, okay, we'll play one more clip. He says, uh, I guess, explaining why he's not responsible. Uh, Then the question is raised about, well, why didn't you check the gun when it was handed to you? And he says that, uh, hey, actors, that's not the actor's job to check the gun. How do you respond to actors like George Clooney who say that every time they were handed a gun, they checked it themselves? Well, there were a lot of people who felt it necessary to contribute some comment to the situation, which really didn't help the situation at all. You have your, if your protocol is you check the gun every time, well, good for you. Good for you. You know, I mean, I probably handled weapons as much as any other actor in films with, with an average career. Again, shooting or being shot by someone. And in, in, in that time, I had a protocol and it never let me down. Why did you choose in your 40 years not to check the gun yourself? What I was taught by someone years ago was, as I said, if I, if I took a gun and I popped a clip out of a gun or I manipulated the chamber of a gun, they would take the gun away from me and redo it. The prop person said, don't do that, when I was young. And they'd say, 
one thing you would need to understand is we don't want the actor to be the last line of defense against a catastrophic breach of safety with the gun. My job, they told me, man or woman, my job is to make sure the gun is safe and then I hand you the gun and I declare the gun safe. The crew's not relying on you to say that it's safe. They're relying on me to say that it's safe. No, this is not, just so you know, uh, he says, well, hey, if, the, if, the, if those were your personal protocols that you check the gun that you're handed, then, then good for you. Yeah, we all have our own, we all have our own protocols for guns. No, no, we don't. There is a, a universal standards of gun safety when it comes, you know, across the entire world, universal gun safety standards. Not always followed, as evidenced by Alec Baldwin, but they exist. And one of them is that uh, you always check it. Always check it. And you never point the gun at anyone or anything you don't want to shoot. That's another one. Universal standards. So all he's telling, I, I can't believe it. I mean, this guy is a Hollywood actor, insanely rich. I'm sure he's got all, he's got lawyers. I'm sure he has a team of 50 lawyers right now on the case here. And they let him do this interview? Because his excuse, basically, is that he's been reckless for 40 years. And so why not be reckless now? And he says that, uh, well, you don't want the actor to be the last line of defense. That's, yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you never want to be in a situation where someone hands you a gun and says that it's not loaded, but it is. That's, 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 you, never, you never want that. You don't want the actor to be the last line of defense. But it's better than the alternative which is that the actor doesn't act as that last line of defense at all and just shoots the gun and kills somebody. Oh, but he says that this is, uh, we're not helping with our opinions. Can you imagine saying that? You shoot and kill someone and then other people criticize you and you kind of turn your nose up and say, your opinions aren't helping the situation. My God. No surprise, though, to have this kind of narcissism in a Hollywood actor, I suppose. All right, let's get now to the comment section. Resident Wiseacre uh, says, when people start adding qualifiers to what makes one alive, then we can only assume that they would never apply those same qualifiers to themselves. Yeah, as we, as we just talked about, that, that of course, is the case. Every single, every single pro-abortion person is quite happy that their own arguments were not applied to them. Because they, but it's an, they're an exception because they are important people and the world desperately needed them. The world desperately needed the contributions of uh, one Whoopi Goldberg. And so, of course, she should not have been aborted. But, uh, but all these other babies, clumps of cells, who cares? Kill, we got killed 60 million of them. Let's kill another 60 million. It means nothing. Kayla says, I was at the SLU talk, sorry, the SLU talk. I was at the SLU talk and I knew you were serious when you said you tried to talk to the protesters. On the way home, I tried to convince my mom who came with me that's, uh, that that's something you would do, but she isn't sweet baby gang like me. And she said it was too dangerous for you to confront the crazies and was so sure you were kidding. I was happy to rub it in when the footage was posted. Well, um, you know, I would ban your mom from the show for that, but it sounds like she doesn't watch anyway. And also, I, I can't blame her as a mom uh, for, for feeling that way, you know, that this would be a very stupid and reckless thing to do. There's no way he would have done that. But of course, I did do it. And I, and I will admit that, uh, you know, some of the women in my life were, were perhaps not huge fans of that decision on my part. So 
I'll let your mom off the hook. Jessica says, Matt, you scallywag. I was at uh, SLU yesterday for your event, garbed in my sweet baby gang t-shirt, for which I paid roughly $4,982, and you didn't even stick around to take pictures or sign merch. This is an, an outrage, and I demand you give me your home address so that I can send my SBG shirt to be autographed. Um, in fact, I, I did. I was there. I did stick around, and we were doing pictures and everything. I don't know where you were, okay? I was waiting around, waiting around for you, Jessica. You didn't show up. So you're banned from the show, I, I, hate, to, I hate to say. Um, Clint says, as a defense contractor, I, too, travel a lot and spend many nights in hotels. My greatest wish is to be in the room next door and hear you do your show. It would be good to have someone friendly next door, I guess. I, I do think about that every time I'm doing the show because I'm always shouting when I do the show. And uh, that's, my, that's my camera voice. And I'm always thinking that you know, the walls are, are thin at hotels. And I always feel sorry for the people around us who can certainly hear the entire thing. Why should I feel sorry for them? They get a, they get a sneak preview of the show. Um, and uh, another comment says, does your makeup artist get her own hotel suite when you're traveling? Now, the makeup artist is, is uh, Sean, my producer, when we're traveling. And we don't talk about it. Um, we don't talk about it. It's not discussed. This is not something we'll ever discuss again. As you know, we don't talk about the fact that Sweet Daddy wears makeup. We don't talk about it. And now, everyone's favorite time, the time for the Daily Wire promos. And in this case, I'll tell you about uh, things I've already told you about during the show. Uh, Johnny the Walrus is the book that's on sale right now. We uh, sold out on Amazon the first day, which... I don't know if this is true or not, but I got to think we have one of the, the, the fastest selling children's books ever. I don't know. As long as we're not carrying, counting Harry Potter as a children's book, then maybe I can possibly make that claim. But either way, we sold out on Amazon in a day. And uh, now we are uh, on johnnythewalrus.com. Just go to johnnythewalrus.com and get your book today. Also, if you haven't already, you should go check out our new merch store over at dailywire.com shop. While you're there, get your hands on a Let's Go Brandon trucker hat or a Do Not Comply t-shirt. Um, or you could get the uh, Return or Die shirt that I'm wearing right now. Order now and get it in time for Christmas and get a sweet discount on those Daily Wire original collections. That's dailywire.com shop. Go check it out immediately. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, I am, I am no historian, but one thing I have noticed when I read about human civilizations of the past is that they uh, were all comprised of humans. Seems evident from my study of the subject that you can't have a human civilization without humans. The most basic purpose of a civilization is to propagate itself. Not the only purpose, but one of the most basic. Just as the most basic biological purpose of each individual human is to reproduce. So it follows that a civilization which gives up on producing humans will inevitably collapse. And that's why I am worried about the trend in the West towards childish, childlessness. And childishness, I guess. As our fertility rate drops below replacement level, we more and more resemble a society that has basically given up on itself. We are people who have lost interest in people, a civilization that has despaired of itself. A survey from Pew Research Center this week provides more detail on this trend. MSN reports, quote, a growing share of U.S. adults who aren't already parents say they probably won't have children, citing reasons such as apathy, financial instability, or the lack of a partner. A new survey from the Pew Research Center found that 44% of non-parents ages 18 to 49 says it's not too likely or not at all likely that they will have children someday, an increase of seven percentage points from the 37% who said the same in 2018. The survey doesn't bode well for a reversal of the downward trend in U.S. fertility rates, which have been hammered by the public health and economic crises caused by the pandemic. The number of babies born in the country fell 4% to about 3.6 million in 2020, the largest decline since 1973. Although the reasons for not having children vary sharply, 
The main one given by childless adults is simply that they don't want any. Other reasons given include medical at 19% and financial at 17%. About 15% cite the lack of a partner. 10% said it was the age of their partner. And 9% blame the state of the world. Roughly 1 in 20 cite environmental factors, including climate change, as the reasons behind their desire to not have a child. Which only just supports what I've said before, that like no one actually cares about cl- climate change. Um, uh, continuing, among adults under 40 who are already parents, about one quarter don't expect to have more children due to, to the financial cost involved, while 3 in 10 say they're too old. Okay, so the survey says that 17% cite financial concerns for their decision to remain childless indefinitely. But I would guess that the real portion is much higher than that. I'm not sure I've ever spoken to a childless adult about this subject without them mentioning finances as at least one of the reasons for their childless lifestyle choice. So I think it's worth responding to that specific objection in some detail. First of all, it's almost certainly not true that you can't afford to have kids because there's no income requirement for parenthood. You don't need to pay any monthly subscription fee. Plenty of people poorer than you not only have kids, but have them and live quite happily and comfortably. You know, it's in, in many ways, having kids is about as expensive as you make it. You, you have a whole, and there, there are expenses that come up, obviously, as a parent that you have no control over. But on a day-to-day basis, you have a whole lot of leeway in how expensive this is going to be. Just like you have a leeway in how expensive your own life is going to be. So it's not that you can't afford children, it's that you can't afford your current lifestyle once you have added children into the bargain. So it's a matter of priority, not raw cost per se. But all of life is a series of trade-offs, and this is no exception. In this case, the trade-off is more material possessions and financial security in exchange for being alone and leaving no lasting legacy when you die. Will your material possessions, your stuff, your inanimate objects, Will all of this bring you the kind of joy and fulfillment that you can derive from a family? Given that joy and fulfillment are what we all fundamentally desire and pursue, this is the big question. And I think the answer is no. I'll put it to you this way. You know, I was traveling again this week. When I'm on the road, I miss my kids and my wife. I don't miss the stuff at my house. My wife sends me pictures of the kids when I'm gone. She doesn't send me pictures of the couch or the TV. There's a connection with other humans, with your family, your children, your wife, that brings you a sort of joy and purpose that you just can't find anywhere else. Parenthood is also transformational. Having kids changes you for the better, or at least it should. I mean, it doesn't for everyone, but it should. It gives you the opportunity for that, maybe we should say. There are very few like threshold moments in your life where something happens, a change occurs, you walk through a door, and you're never the same again. There are plenty of moments where you think everything is changing and you're changing, but you're not. So you go on vacation and you travel and it's amazing and you feel like uh, it's changed your perspective on life. And then within 36 hours of being home, you're the same person again. But having kids is different. That's one of those crossing the Rubicon type moments. Should you forfeit that for monetary reasons? Another thing to keep in mind is that you may take a step back in lifestyle when you have kids, but that's that's not necessarily a permanent situation. I'm in a much better financial position, better position in terms of lifestyle today with four kids than I was before I had kids. You might say that, well, if I never had kids, I'd be doing even better financially. Maybe. I mean, you know, we can't know, but probably not. Because the other thing that kids do for you is they give you a sense of purpose and ambition that's hard to muster and stir up within yourself just purely of your own accord. I've taken chances that I wouldn't have taken if I didn't have a family to feed. 
I've invested myself in projects that I probably wouldn't have taken on if I didn't have a family depending on me. I've made sacrifices that I wouldn't have made without a family to make them for. I'm a better person in many ways than I would be if I did not have kids looking up to me and modeling themselves after me. I'm still not a great person, but certainly better than the alternative. It's not a coincidence, I think, that people are giving up on kids in our culture. And they're also giving up on everything else. 10 million open jobs that nobody wants to take. Workers dropping out of the workforce. Grown adults living at home with their parents and so on. We, we aren't seeing that people forego families and then go out into the work world and obsessively pursue their ambitions. That still wouldn't be the right way to live, in my opinion, but that's not what's happening. What we find more often is that people give up on kids and soon everything else follows. In the end, it's hard to, we find, in the end, it's, it's hard to live for other people, but it's harder to live for yourself. There are sacrifices you have to make for your family, many of them monetary. But if you don't have anyone to sacrifice for, then eventually you just run out of reasons to try at all. That's what we're, that's what we're witnessing in our culture today. And that's why I urge you, again, as I have many times in the past and will many times in the future, and as God commanded in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. You'll figure out the financial part of it. Trust me, you will. So who is canceled today? Um, I suppose people who choose money over children are ultimately canceled. And once again, of course, I have to cancel those who, um, I mean, of all the financial obligations, one that is, that is, uh, that is not an option, um, this is not discretionary spending. That is buying Johnny the Walrus at johnnythewalrus.com. So make sure you do that also or you're canceled. And we'll leave it there for today and the week. Have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs> 